So the passage that we're looking at today is, is not from Hebrews, but it is actually a passage that we've looked at very closely in our youth group. So the passage that we've been looking at very closely in our youth group is Matthew 7, 24 through 27, or the idea of building your house on the rock. And the reason why we, we've chosen this is that this passage has kind of been the theme, theme passage for our youth group over the past few months as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount just as a youth group as a whole. And you might be wondering, why did you spend so much time on just three verses or three chapters in Matthew? And, and there's a bunch of reasons why we could just look at any passage in Scripture, but we wanted to look at this because we wanted to answer the question with our kids of what does it mean to live a life that is both pleasing to God and dedicated to Him? And so when we, we addressed this passage as a youth group, we spent the, the whole summer and fall looking at the Sermon on the Mount and just teaching it to our kids with this question in mind of what does it mean to live a life that is pleasing to God and dedicated to Him? And I think that the passage that we're looking at today and just the Sermon on the Mount in general is a great passage for, for two groups of people, for people who are, who are disciples of Jesus and who want to grow closer to Him and also those who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's, who's grown up in the church and you've been a Christian your life, for your whole life, but you're looking to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. And this passage is great for you. Or maybe if you're someone who do, is not a follower of Jesus and you don't know a ton about what he's about, but this is also a great passage to learn more about what Jesus has done and who he is. And so with that said, I think we just want to jump right in. So you guys with me so far? All right, cool. So, actually, let me take a step back. Before we jump in, I want to give you guys some context of the passage. And so, the context of the passage is that this comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so, Jesus spends a good amount of time during the Sermon on the Mount actually teaching us how we are to live as Christians. And he addresses different areas of the law, or the Old Testament law. Not all of it, but he hits a lot of the main points. And he kind of follows the same formulaic way that he teaches through a number of these, of where he'll say, you have heard it said blank. And then he'll say, but I say blank. And I think it's, it's a cool nod to showing that, that Jesus is teaching with his own authority. He's not teaching with the authority of this rabbi said this and this rabbi said this, but he's saying that as the Son of God, that this is what I say about it. He goes through this and he, he gives the true and proper meaning in, of interpretation. And he takes murder. He'll say, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say Anger is murder of the heart. And so what he's doing is he's deepening the meanings of these laws because I can't say for everyone in here, but I think it's safe to say that probably none of us have murdered anyone. And so, but, but if we, we can all agree that we've been angry, right? And so when we look at this and we could say, okay, yeah, I can get off with just checking the box on the Ten Commandments, but when Jesus deepens the meaning and he, he explains how anger is murder of the heart, that's where it gets us. And so he's giving the true meaning and intention of God's law in Jesus' interpretation. And Jesus also spends other time giving other instructions on how we are to love our enemies, what we are to do with oaths, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, how we are to not judge others, and a lot more. And so all of that concludes with the passage that we are looking at today in Matthew chapter 7. And so when Jesus says at the beginning of our passage, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, He's talking about the conclusion of everything that he's been saying. So now we'll jump in. So, Okay, I'm going to reread verses 24 and 25 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, 
but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And so we, we're first introduced to our character of the wise man here, and, and we see that what he does is that he decides that he's going to build his house on the rock, the thing that does not change. He's building his house on the firm foundation. And so something that I've been very fortunate to do every, every year for the past three years, I believe, is that I've been able to help with an organization that goes down to Mexico to actually build a house for a family who does not have one over a weekend. And it's a great experience. It's been, it's been something that I've really loved and, and learned to value in, in the hard work that goes into it and everything that goes into it. But I think that's something significant about this trip is that before we even get down there to actually build the house, the organization that we are a part of is actually going ahead and pours a concrete slab for the house to be built on. And because they recognize that if we were to just go over there, build a house on dirt or gravel or whatever is there, it's not going to stand for long. You know, we could build it with, with great walls and roofs, which we do, but it, it might not stand unless it has actually a concrete foundation. And not only do we, we put up the walls on this concrete foundation, but we take these really long nails and nail through the wood and into the concrete to really solidify that the house is going to stand on this foundation. And it's crucial because there's, you know, there's mudslides, rain, wind, whatever, whatever can happen. And so it's important that this house is actually on this foundation. And so the same is true for the wise man, as we see in, in this story of where he experiences the rain, the floods, and the wind, and yet his house does not fall because of the strong foundation. And so the kind of person that Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about this wise man is someone that is, that is trusting in him and that is doing what he has spoken. And so that's the thing that makes this man wise. On the other hand, we see the foolish man, and I'm going to read again verses 26 and 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we get introduced to our second character, right? The, the foolish man who is building his house on the sand. He experiences the same, the rain, winds, and floods, and yet his house falls. And, it's, and the reason why his house falls is because of the weak foundation that he has built it on. And so when we, when we look at these two men together, we see them together, we see that there's the wise and the foolish man, and that in this story, Jesus gives us a good metaphor or example of how we are to, to live our lives, and the example he uses is building houses. And this is well before HGTV or House Hunters or Property Brothers, whatever the house flipping shows are, you know, what I'm talking about. So when Jesus is talking here, he's talking about the idea of building your house, and what he's saying is that this is where I'm going to live my life. Whatever you say you are building your house on, you're saying this is what my life is based on, and this is how I'm going to live it. And so both men, as I said, experience the same sort of weather, the rain, the winds, and the flood, and yet one stands and the other does not. And you could even make the argument that the houses were built the exact same way. You could say that they were both built with strong walls and a roof that doesn't leak and a secure door, and yet one of them stands and the other does not. And the reason for that is the foundation that they're built off. And so what Jesus is getting at here is that the thing that matters most for your house is the foundation that it's built on. And so in this, in this story, we see that Jesus gives us two examples. He gives us the rocks and the sand. And so we're going to look at them individually. We're going, to, we're going to look at what it means. What does it mean to build your house on the rock? What does it mean to build your house on the sand? And so if you guys are following along in your outline, this will be the rock and the sand part of it. But first, let's look at the rocks. 
So we see that the wise man in the story has the foundation that is unchanging. It can endure all of the weather, all of the storms, everything that comes because of its foundation. And so I want to look at a few ways that God is like a rock and that God is seen as the rock in this story. And then we'll move on and, and compare to sand. But the first way that I would say God is like a rock is that God is unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I want to say that when I say God is not changing, I don't want to say that God is just stubborn and he's stuck in his ways, but God does not need to change because God is perfect. Everything he does is perfect and timeless, and he does not need to change with whatever happens in this world. He doesn't need to change with culture, but instead he rules over it. You know, I think when we look at our culture, it's, it's pretty easy for us to see that, that there's a lot that changes very frequently. You know, and if you're anything like me and Amy, we have a, a cabinet that is just dedicated to water bottles. So if you're, if you're like that, we have a water bottle cabinet that it's way too many water bottles for two people to own, but, and we definitely don't use all of them, but it's, it's a good metaphor of kind of talking about our culture of where when we look at this water bottle cabinet, we got different water bottles from all sorts of fads where we have like Nalgene's and then it moved on to Hydro Flask and then now it's Stanley's and Awala's and who knows what's going to be next. You know, maybe we'll get another one, but point being that, that our culture changes very rapidly in the same way that our, our, our taste in water bottles apparently changes very rapidly as well. And, and what I mean by that is that since our culture changes rapidly, it's, it's very much so in contrast to God, where I said that God is unchanging and constant because he is perfect. And when you compare that to our culture, you can see just how different they are, that God is unchanging because God is perfect, and so we can rely on him and yet our culture is something that is going to provide us shifting, shifting sand. And so the first way that God is like a rock is that God is unchanging. The next way that I would say God is like a rock is that God is reliable. Where rocks aren't going to give in under a lot of pressure, that's what makes them good to build off of. And we can see in, in plenty of areas in Scripture how God is reliable to his people. If God makes a promise, he is going to stick with it. He's not going to just forget about it and pretend it didn't happen thousands of years later, but he's going to stick with it. God never goes back on his word. And we can, look at, we can look at Abraham, for example, where God promises to Abraham that the nations will be blessed through him, and yet thousands of years later, we see that Jesus is the one who brings salvation to all people who believe in him. And so God makes plenty of promises, as I said, and yet he fulfills every single one of them, never goes back on his word, and always keeps to what he says. And I think if we, we take this same idea and we apply it to our lives, it, it really hits home for me. But just understanding that God is someone that we can rely on is huge. That he's someone that we can put our trust in when you feel a lot of pressure in this life. You feel like, hey, I'm really going through a hard thing right now. You can, you can lean on God. You can just tell God, hey, I really need you. And just lean on him. And so God is like a rock in that God is reliable. And I'd say the last way that God is like a rock, is that God is strong. The end of Romans 8.31 tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? So God is someone that we can completely and wholly put our trust in. And so just to recap, God is like a rock and that God is unchanging, God is reliable, and God is strong. And so when Jesus is giving this, giving this parable, we see that sand is kind of seen as the opposite of this. You know, and I think that's, that's safe to say. We've, we all live in Southern California, that we can, we've been to the beach. We understand how sand is kind of shifting and moves around. But, you know, it's kind of seen as this idea of putting your trust in anything other than Jesus. 
You know, maybe you're putting your trust in yourself. You're saying, I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. And once that stops making me happy, then I'll just move on to the next thing. Or maybe it's, it's putting your trust in other people. You know, these friends are really good for me, and as long as they're with me, then I don't care what else happens. Or maybe it's putting your trust in, in our culture, or our society. Of, I suppose if as a society we could just get this right, then we'll be okay. Or maybe it's in politics. If we just get this one person in office, then everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. And um, so what, I, what I'm getting at here is that putting your trust in anything other than Jesus is ultimately going to let you down. And like I said, sand is constantly changing, right? So I have a little bit of story. Um, when I was in high school, I played football, and our program was, was pretty rigorous. It was, it was a difficult program, and so a little TMI, and I'm not just saying this to gross you out, but a lot of people would throw up just out of exhaustion from it. You know, they would be working out hard, and people would just throw up. It was a pretty common thing, except for me. I was very proud of myself because I never threw up. I was very fortunate. I was like, ah, I'm always in shape. I don't need to worry about this, and so I was fine until my senior year. And so it was the beginning of our summer, summer workouts, and we were doing a workout on the beach, and I was working out with some buddies, and we were just doing, like, our warm-ups, some burpees, some, some like, chopping our feet, whatever. And after just warm-ups, I knew I was like, oh, no. I'm in trouble today. This might not be a good day for me. And it turns out it wasn't. We did uh, some hill runs and running to lifeguard towers and such, and then eventually I did just throw up on the ground over there. And I'm not just telling you that to, to gross you out, but... The point of this story, like I said, is not just to gross you out, but to tell you how just exhausting it is to run in sand. It, it was way more exhausting than anything else I had ever done. And if I were to have done the same exact workout, but on, on concrete or turf or whatever, it would have been way easier. And the reason why is because when you're, when you're running in sand is that you can't ever get firm footing, right? You're constantly shifting, especially in the thick sand. You're, you're just running and constantly shifting, and it's not able to hold you well. And so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't provide solid footing. And so building a house on a foundation of sand, if we were just objectively all go out together and we're all going to go build a house, we would not want to build it on sand because we all know that building something on sand isn't going to last. And in the same way that, putting, that running in sand is exhausting, putting your trust in anything other than Jesus is exhausting too. It's going to feel like that. Building your house on sand is ultimately going to lead to its collapse, but just running through sand, like I said, is exhausting. And in the same way that, that sand is constantly shifting and moving, our culture is constantly shifting and moving as well. I mean, I just, I just threw out water bottles as an example, but there's so many things that we could, we could list in our culture that is constantly shifting and moving and always leaving you looking for the next thing. But, little spoiler alert, but everything in this life other than Jesus is going to let you down. It's going to leave you feeling empty and unsatisfied. And the only foundation that is actually going to hold you in this life is Jesus. And another, another point about sand, and in case you didn't know, sand is actually made out of tiny rocks from erosion. But thank you, sixth grade earth science, for teaching me that. I had to remember that one. But my point being is that, you know, maybe you're building a foundation of sand or you know someone that has a foundation that is of sand, but they might like some of the things about Jesus. They might like, oh yeah, Jesus tells us that we are to love our enemies and we should give to, the, give to the poor and the needy and we should take care of the widowed. You know, you might like some of those different aspects of what, of what Jesus tells us, but 
you might have a harder time with, with trusting in him when he says that you need to take up your cross and follow him, or that he needs to be your Lord and your Savior. And so maybe you're building a foundation that is partially sand, partially rock, but as the passage tells us, unless your foundation is entirely built on Jesus, it's not going to last. And so that's what I wanted to talk about for the rocks and the sand, and now let's move on to talking about just the weather. What does the weather represent, and why does Jesus use it here? So what's significant about it? I mean, I've lived in Southern California, so I don't really know a ton of extreme weather in the same way that Jesus is talking about here. I mean, we got like Santa Ana winds and, and ocean waves and things like that, but for the most part, I haven't experienced this kind of weather. But the weather that Jesus is talking about is often used as a symbol for either trials during life or judgment. When people, when they symbolize the weather here, they're saying that, okay, the weather either represents trials of difficulties during life or really the final judgment when Jesus comes back again. And I just want to say that it can be both. And we can, we're going to look at it from both, both ways of what does it mean for this passage if we use weather as trials during life, and what does it mean if we use it as the final judgment. And so if we're, if we're going through trials, if we're experiencing hard things in life, the rains and the winds are, are beating against our house, we're experiencing a lot of hard things. Maybe you're experiencing the death of a loved one or bullying during school. Whatever it may be, having a strong foundation in Jesus is really the only thing that is going to get you through. And we were, we were talking in our staff meeting earlier this week about this passage, and, and someone mentioned how if you, if you are someone who is going through hard times and if you have your faith in Jesus, then you're going to be someone who is going to cling to him more. You're going to lean on him more and trust in him more. But if you're someone who doesn't, you're going to end up being bitter and just upset about your situation. And so that's what it means if we, we take this passage and we apply it to trials during this life. But if we take this, the weather now and we apply it to what it means for our final judgment, we can see that we need a strong foundation to keep us from crashing. And as Christians, we recognize this. We recognize that, that on our own, we are not good enough. We need someone to, to take our place because we are not good enough. John 14, 6 says that Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I feel like this verse fits in, in perfectly with what we are talking about, of where Jesus is here emphasizing how no one can come to the Father except through him. In other words, no one can find salvation apart from Jesus. We need Jesus to be our Savior in order to be saved from our sins. And yet we're not just, we're not just trying to find an escape to punishment, but instead we're, we're brought into the arms of the Father and we are loved by God. And so Jesus also says in John 14, 6, how no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's, it's similar to what Jesus says in our passage of where he says, if you do not hear and do the words of what he says, then your house is going to crash. And then once again, in other words, if you, you cannot find salvation apart from Jesus. And so when we, when we look at this passage again, we see in verse 24 that Jesus begins this with saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. And if we just at first glance take this passage and we just separate it out from everything else that's going on, it sounds like Jesus is talking about a works-based faith, right? It sounds like as long as I follow all these rules and I follow everything that Jesus says, then I'm going to be okay. And I just want to say that that is not what Jesus is calling for. He's not just saying that we just need to follow every rule really well and then we'll be good. But instead, he's emphasizing the importance of a relationship with him. 
And that's why I wanted to spend time at the beginning of talking about the context and addressing what is going on in this passage, because we can find an answer for this question of what is Jesus talking about here when he says hearing and doing these words, when we look back at Matthew 5.20, so just a couple chapters earlier. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a little controversial, for sure, for Jesus to have said at the time, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes were kind of seen as the keepers of the law. You know, they would, they would make sure everybody else was in line, and they themselves would be the ones who would follow these rules really well. And so when Jesus says that your righteousness needs to exceed that, that would have left people confused. But what he's getting at here is that he's emphasizing the importance of having a relationship and believing in him and having faith in Jesus over obedience. Where Jesus is establishing this, this new economy and fulfilling the law of where he is saying how belief in him is more important than just straight obedience. And yet, as Christians, we are obedient to these things that Jesus has commanded us because we know it's what's best for us, and we do it out of love because we love God and we want to show it to him. And we know that the God who made us knows us better than we know ourselves, and so if he tells us, hey, this is the right way to do things, then we should do that. And yet Jesus in this passage is still, he's still telling us that we are to hear and do the words of what he has said, but he's not saying it as a way that we are saved. He's not saying that you are saved by following these rules, but instead he's showing us that we cannot be saved by our good, work, our good works, but the faith in him is what saves us. And once again, I want to mention that we, we obey God as an act of love because we want to bring God glory and bring us closer to him. And so that's why Jesus gives this story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's giving us his new creations, instructions on how we are to live a life that is obedient to him and pleasing to him by having faith in him. And so if I were to leave you guys with one thing, and this is the only thing that you, were, you took out of all of today, is that belief in Jesus is the only foundation that will last. That might not be earth-shattering truth for some of you, but that doesn't mean it's not true, right? It, it, it still rings true today for every single one of us. And once again, if we look at the weather, if we are going to say that we are experiencing trials during life, we know that life can and will get difficult, but Jesus is the only one who can get us through. If we look at, if we look at the weather once again at judgment, Belief in Jesus is the only thing that is going to save us. Belief in ourselves or belief in anything else is not able to. And so, like I said, belief in Jesus is the only foundation that will last. But what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus and to have this, have this faith in Jesus? I think it comes down to a couple things. But the first is that we need to recognize our need for a Savior. That on our own, we are not able to save ourselves from our sin, but it's the free gift of God that gives us this salvation. And so then from there, we have to trust in Jesus to be that Savior, the one that we need and the one that we have been prophesied about. Knowing that Jesus is the Son of God who came down and died in our place to pay the punishment for our sins. And so then from there, having Jesus as this foundation means that we believe that we are saved not under our own power, but through the power of Jesus, because apart from Jesus, no foundation will last. And I think it's significant, too, that in verse 24, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. He's not saying, hear these words of mine and someone else you really like. 
but he's, he's emphasizing exclusive obedience, that belief in Jesus alone is the only thing that will last. Complete commitment in Jesus is the only thing that will last. And the wise person in this story is someone who has seen, seen the sand, seen what it offers, and yet they decide that they're going to do the hard work and they're going to build their house on the sand because they understand that the, the shifting sands of life are not going to last. And so just to, just to close, I can attest to this truth. I'm not just telling you guys this passage and speaking on this passage because it sounds nice, but this, this passage and this truth that I'm talking about here has, has changed my life. You know, when I became, when I became a Christian at, at Hume Lake when I was in high school, I felt this relief. Of, I was no longer trying to keep up with, trying to find the next thing that's going to make me happy or feel fulfilled or whatever it may be, but during that time before I found Jesus, I lacked purpose, lacked meaning. But following Jesus truly changed everything. Of where I, I was no longer trying to live a life on the shifting foundation that sand provides, but instead I was standing on solid ground for the first time. And I guarantee you that, that my story is not unique. Every one of you in here that is a follower of Jesus understands that the, the foundation that Jesus provides is truly the only thing that will last. Let's pray. God, we just come before you now, and we're just thankful for your word being our guide in this life. And we just pray for, for everyone in here that if they have not put their trust in you, that they will, and that they will see that you are the only foundation that will last in this life. And I pray for all those who, who are believers, that they will grow to know you more and that they will learn to trust in you more and more each and every day, God. And we thank you for just providing your word as the guide for our lives that we can open up and we can learn about you through, God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the, the safe place that you have provided for us to worship you and to learn from your word and to be able to worship you just completely free. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.